Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Jessica. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt where you can join Club V and you will now receive one bonus episode per month and we're hoping to do more going forward. And we just want to say a big thank you to all seven of our patrons. Yeah, you heard that. It's plural now. <laughs> we got seven <laughs> thank you for the support and you know what it's not all friends and family no. there's a few friends but there's people that are genuinely liking this the content we're so thrilled every time somebody joins that yeah, we, we get each so other. excited and so we really want to give you the best bonus content possible we really will we're gonna put out lots of great stuff and we have a lot of fun on the patreon feed and for those who don't join the patreon you'll still get the little patreon preview episodes so you can always just like tune into those and if you don't want to support us that's awesome too because we're just super pumped if you want to listen to us on here and if you'd like to buy merch you could be the first person to buy merch Heaven in other a than us <laughs> <laughs> we have merch we have merch heaven in a miniskirt.com slash merch it's actually good quality stuff which is great and if you'd like to fo- follow us on social media, we are on TikTok and Instagram at Heaven in a Miniskirt. Sarah, it's our podcast anniversary. No, it's not. Today? Did you know that? Yeah. Not today. When this comes out. When this comes out. Oh. When this comes out. Wow. So we've been going for a year. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy because it feels so much and- longer. <laughs> Does it really? It feels so much shorter. In really? My feel yeah, like, I don't feel like it's been a year. I feel like this has been life-changing because I went from not having any idea about Christian culture to now having a few Christian artists that I just listen to for fun. So this is my life now. Well, I think what's interesting about everything changing about us doing this is because, like you said, I personally didn't think about this for many, many years. And all I would tell people about my Christian days was, oh, I was religious in high school. And people would be like, that's crazy. And I'm like, I know. And then that would be the extent of the conversation. And I had all these issues that I didn't understand how to do with how we were brought up. But it's just, it's wild now because like you said, our lives are like unrecognizable to where they were from when you came to visit me and we decided to do the podcast in May of 2022. So this is gonna be a fun one like this is like as fun as like demons or speaking in tongues i would say this episode is gonna be one of our famous unhinged episodes famous as if any yeah. <laughs> famous to us famous to us so when i proposed this idea jessica was like there's not gonna be enough content and presently i have 11 pages of notes so I... here we go what are we talking about <laughs> i okay dinosaurs that's all i don't know (laughs) we're talking about dinosaurs Dinosaurs. but like obviously it has to do with christianity which is kind of the weirdest thing is that like how does this tie in together 
Well, what did you learn? How can you possibly have 11 pages of notes about dinosaurs and Christianity? (laughs) So when I was growing up and I was in the church, I remember hearing about how dinosaurs and humans lived at the same time. Did you ever hear that? (laughs) Okay, if I had heard that, I would have run the other direction, Sarah. (laughs) So that is like basically the premise of this episode. It's we're going to be getting into a lot of the young earth creationist points of views, their arguing points, kind of the psychology, the personality psychology behind like why people have certain types of views. And if there's mention of dinosaurs in the Bible, it's really all over the place. But it's been pretty fun to kind of go through. So (laughs) yesterday I listened to an hour and 39 minute talk that Ken Ham gave to grade sixers. And (laughs) I... You what? And I... You listened to an hour and 39 minute talk that Ken Ham gave to grade sixers. And he threw in so many far right talking points like... In the beginning, God created. I can't do an Australian accent. Why am I trying? Um, God. In the <laughs> that beginning, was your Australian accent. <laughs> God created man and woman in His own image. So, boys and girls, what does that mean? That's the first marriage. Can you say the first marriage is between a man and a woman? It was next level. So, a lot of this is going to do with Ken Ham because he is the founder of Answers in Genesis. So, if you have any more interest on different interpretations of genesis versus evolution you can go to our episode about creation theories i think it's called evolution versus evolution versus creation so you can go to that episode if you want some more context you can go to deb harsma's episode where we interview her and she's a she's the president of biologos and we're going to be looking at some articles from biologos today because obviously they're like ken ham silly (laughs) silly goose no he's not just silly he's he's dangerous and his views are so misinformed so okay i think the thing is about deb harsma is that she's so nice and with biologos i don't think they would ever say that ken ham's dangerous they would just say he's silly she's not going to say it out loud but like we know that he's off his rocker and i can't did you actually sit down and watch this whole hour and a half yes oh that's so frustrating did you get really mad I was just like, I was just blown away. And that's why I looked into the psychology of belief, because honestly, Ken Ham is very clearly an intelligent person. And lots of studies have shown that there's no correlation between intelligence and religious belief. Lots of people that are super intelligent believe in young earth creationism. Lots of people that are super intelligent don't. Most people don't. But it really comes down to personality characteristics and kind of how we interpret knowledge and how we tolerate nuance. And we'll get into that a little bit. I have that at the end. So if we get into the history of dinosaurs, so the first geological discovery of a dinosaur was in the 19th century. That's when they were finding all kinds of fossils of prehistoric creatures, including dinosaurs. There was a guy named Georges Cuvier. He was a, a French naturalist that's considered one of the founders of paleontology. And he had groundbreaking work in comparative anatomy, which allowed him to reconstruct the anatomy of extinct animals from like fragments of different fossils. And he was the first to propose that Earth had been marked by some catastrophic event that led to mass extinction of species in um, prehistoric times. And then if we look at Mary Anning, who was very influential. She was born in the 1700s and she was an English fossil collector and self-taught paleontologist. 
and she played a major role in the first discovery of uh, Jurassic marine reptiles, which is so cool. She was able to put together the first complete skeleton of the Ichthyosaurus and the Plesiosaurus. Oh my god, are we going to have to say a bunch of dinosaur names? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm going to butcher them all because definitely not a paleontologist here. But yeah, so she had a lack of formal education, but she played a major role in paleontology. And then the term for dinosaurs was coined in 1842 by Sir Richard Owen, a British paleontologist and anatomist. And so it comes from the Greek dinos, meaning terrible, and saurus, meaning lizard. So terrible lizard. (laughs) So thus, the term dinosaurs was born. And one point that pissed me off the most about Ken Ham's an hour and a half lecture that I listened to was he was like, dinosaur, the name dinosaur wasn't even invented till the 1800s. So people are crazy. People are crazy to say that there's no dinosaurs in the Bible because there actually are. What? Wait, what? What? That's How is that a point? I need to dive deeper into that. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense. That's the point. <laughs> well, he, okay, so he essentially was like... People say, there's no way there could be dinosaurs in the Bible. There's no mention of dinosaurs. And he's like, but the term dinosaur wasn't a thing until the 1850s. So these beasts that are described in the Bible are actually dinosaurs. And he gets into a couple different examples, which will be the Leviathan and the behemoth. I'm just, I'm I'm just taking all of this in. (laughs) So you're with me. That's the history. (laughs) Quick overview. I'm, I'm with you. And then, so back in the 1700s, you'll notice that, again, this was like scientific revolution, 1700s, 1800s, lots of new discoveries were happening. There was a big emphasis on the scientific method. And James Hutton was a Scottish geologist, and he is referred to as the father of modern geology. And he argued that the Earth's history is characterized by cycles of erosion, sedimentation, and uplift rather than catastrophic events alone. So he kind of laid the groundwork for us understanding Earth's history as a product of slow natural processes operating over immense spans of time. And he was the first to suggest that, you know, Earth is older. It is older than 6,000 years old because the prevailing belief, you know, back in the day, they were like, oh, you just add up the genealogy in Genesis and you get... <laughs> that's that's what Kim Han still does. Yeah, I know. Yes. Okay. Back in the day, that was for Western Christians, the age of the Earth was considered based on a literal interpretation of the Bible and adding up all the dates in Genesis. And there's all kinds of different views on the level of, or the mechanisms that God used to create Earth. The widely accepted view in science is that the Earth is around 4.5 billion years old and that humans and dinosaurs never coexisted. And so that that's just like a little bit of the background. As they got into the... 1800s and 1900s, there was a French physicist, Henri Becquerel, who discovered radioactivity. And you're the best at pronouncing it. I don't know. And uh, Becquerel's discovery revealed that certain elements spontaneously emit radiation, transforming into other elements over time. So this paved the way for radiometric dating, which is a method that measures the decay of radioactive isotopes within minerals to determine their age. So this helps us estimate the age of rocks, fossils, and other geological materials, which supports the concept of an old earth. Wow. That was a lot of really big words. (laughs) And then... Uh, My face is like, oh, yes, isotopes. Isotopes. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Okay. Okay, cool. And then we get into you've heard of Mary Curry, right? If it's not about cults, I probably don't. Okay. I think the problem is that a lot of things have left my brain since having a baby and learning about cults. I had to free up some space. So So basically her work enabled decay rate measurements. So her research included isolating radium and polonium, which led to understanding radioactive decay and the measurement of decay rates. She was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize. And the only person to win Nobel Prize in two scientific fields. Oh, my God. I love her. The first woman to become a professor at the University of Paris. So she helped contribute to our current knowledge of the Earth. And then lastly, we got Arthur Holmes, and he's a British geologist. And he was the first to calculate the age of the Earth based on radiometric data. And he estimated it was 4.5 billion years old, and that was in... 1947 and that's still what we use today and so that is the history of geology and you know how we know the age of the earth there's other things you can get into like like looking at the big bang the travel of light how long it would take the light from stars to travel to earth and using that as an estimate of the time that the universe has been around so there's these are not by no means the only ways to measure the age of the earth but i can't get into everything because this is about dinosaurs we got to remember it's about dinosaurs <laughs> so now we're here to talk about ken ham we're here not about geology so now we're here to talk about young earth creationist arguments on dinosaurs so oh, sarah i'm gonna be so angry when this episode is over i thought we were gonna have fun and now i'm like mm-hmm. you know what's Sorry. so mind-blowing though what ken ham believes because this he's a literal he takes a literal interpretation to genesis so ken ham believes that the earth was created on day one but then the sun the moon and the stars were created on day four (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry but like when i he said that in the talk and i was just like oh my god we learned this with deborah harsma that some people don't take a literal it's not a literal day like people take it as several interpretations and ken is like no it's a day like a a 24-hour situation except there's no sun so how do we know it's a and day the worst part in the no talk sun. that i was listening to he was like boys and girls i don't know i'm just not gonna do the accent <laughs> that's what you're very good. he's like that was very good boys and girls there's seven days in the week even the atheists celebrate seven days and you know how we got seven days we why don't we have 10 days or 13 days or three days it's seven days because god created everything in six days and rested for a day and i'm like no bitch it's because of our revolving around the sun like on mars their day is 24 hours and like a certain amount of minutes and when other planets have really short or really fucking long days it's because of our revolving around the sun it's not because god created the earth in six days But why is there only seven days in a week it can't be because of the bible well, why no because all cultures is uh weak today's gregorian calendar is ultimately based on phases of the moon it takes the moon around 29.5 days to cycle through all the moon phases and so you get a month and then four periods at seven days each this is even more interesting though okay enter the babylonians the ancient society who lived in mesopotamia rounded the moon cycle to 28 days divided it into four and used the seven day week This seven-day structure from the Babylonians is believed to have informed the book of Genesis in Hebrew and Christian Bibles. Stop! Yeah, yeah, Oh, that's so much cooler. 
Okay. Ken Ham. Just Google it, Ken. Oh, my God. So avid astronomers and astrologers, the Babylonians developed a kind of horoscope around 500 BCE, where each day of the week was assigned to one of the classical planets. The seven non-fixed celestial bodies visible to the naked eye. These are the sun, the moon, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. Ah, that is so cool. That is really cool. Okay, Babylonians, go off. So yeah, it was the ancient Babylonians' observations of astronomy that likely informed Genesis and not the fact that God created it in seven days. So when I when he said that, he's like, oh, the Earth is older than the sun. I was like, that it doesn't even make sense. That doesn't make sense. Like, but but in his mind, he's like, well, it's God, so like he can do whatever he wants. It's right. Fine. And in the point of view of Christians that accept naturalistic science or anyone else that accepts what's actually out there, like, to be quite frank, is, like, some people believe, okay, you have God's word and you have God's world. I've, this is an analogy they use in Biologos. And they're, like, God's word, it tells us about God and about humans, but God's world shows us, like, his creation how things were made like the way things actually are has to be how we interpret the bible so if it's saying that the sun was created after the earth it's like no it's metaphorical it's less mental gymnastics way less it is a lot less mental gymnastics in fact it's so much harder to be what ken ham is doing his head is so far in the sand do you want to hear what he's doing you want to get into no, that? No, I don't. Well, you are. <laughs> okay, so, all right. You know what? We haven't talked about Ken Ham in a minute, and uh, I kind of forgot about him, and I'm now I'm mad again. <laughs> oh, don't be mad. If there was no consequence to what he was saying, then I would just find it funny. Oh, it's, it's mind-blowing. So there are two approaches that young Earth creationists take to dinosaurs. One of them would be, and I heard this growing up, that fossils were put in the ground by Satan to deceive us. Yes. <laughs> okay, I've heard this one. <laughs> but I've only ever heard it as people making fun of Christians for saying this. So you've heard people seriously say this. Was this in the yeah. Baptist church? That would like that would have been the minority. Like I think most people that yeah. were young earth creationists that I encountered were the other camp that thought that all the fossils were laid down from Noah's flood. Noah's worldwide flood. I mean, that's barely any better. <laughs> um, <laughs> At least it's not Satan trying to deceive us. Oh, my God. Okay. And so Ken Ham gets into what he calls the seven stages of dinosaurs. Okay. And I don't like this. So his first stage would be formed. And so that would be like when God created everyone and they were in the Garden of Eden. The dinosaurs would have been created on day six as land animals. So they would have been some of the land animals that God would have brought to Adam to name before that God made Eve. <laughs> so, so this is number Sorry. one. I'm just imagining like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So these are the seven Fs. Number one is formed. Don't worry. There's an explanation for how everything fit onto the ark. We'll get into that. <laughs> number two. <laughs> fearless so before the fall of man before eve disobeyed god and her husband and ate the apple listened to satan and then got all of the knowledge of the world before that everyone was a vegetarian and so ken ham thinks it's not quite accurate to refer to uh, animals as carnivores or omnivores or herbivores it's better to just be like those are animals with pointy teeth like I'm not I'm not making this up. And he's like, sharks eat kelp too. And I was like, oh cool, Ken Ham. 
Oh my god. So dinosaurs, you didn't have to be scared of them because they were just really nice vegetarians before the fall of man. But then bring in sin, sin. And humans got real bad. They got so bad that God was like, fuck all you people. I'm going to kill everyone except Noah, his wife, his three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. We don't know any of the wives' names because it's not really important. We don't really need to know about women. Um, And so when God chose two of each kind of dinosaur, along with all the other animals, all the other land animals to fit on the earth, and the dinosaurs that were really big, they just chose one male and one female of the baby ones. So they were small. They weren't big yet. So they could fit on the ark. It's flawless logic. And the ark was huge. We, oh, he told parents that they should be getting rid of all of their Noah's Ark Bible books, like their little storybooks, because he's like, those books that show the ark as just like a bathtub with all these animals sticking their heads out. He's like, that's not accurate. And that's from Satan. Because Satan wants this, <laughs> Satan wants Noah's ark <laughs> to appear like a fairy tale. <laughs> And he's like, you need to come to the ark exhibit and see the real size ark and how all the animals fit on. Sarah, I just, I feel like I'm living in a fantasy world right now. Like, what? <laughs> Who cares? This is the hill that we're dying on. And also he believes on. that climate change is a result of the global flood. <laughs> what? I know. I just. Uh... I'm just, like, I feel like I'm in a dream right now <laughs> and he was like bashing other christians like he was bashing tim keller tim keller is like a theologian he's like tim keller believes that the flood was just like a regional flood and not a full earth flood he's wrong get behind me satan kind of thing <laughs> okay is uh so i guess he he's one of those people that uses satan as an excuse for everything that he can't yeah. explain so so what happened mm. is like when the the global flood allegedly according to ken ham when there was the global flood <laughs> it stirred up a bunch of mud and water and then like a rapid burial of all of these organisms and then they're preserved as fossils and the fossil record reflects a global flood it does not but that is what he would say uh, and then, okay. okay bear with me f number four is found so Found the found aspect re- regards to after the the humans built the Tower of Babel, God got mad because they were trying to build a tower <laughs> to him. So the humans dispersed to different parts of the world, and they brought the dinosaurs with them, explaining why there are dragon legends all around the world. I need to stop you. So, like, I need to digest each <laughs> point because this is. So he says that everyone. How do you bring dinosaurs with you to another part of the Earth? Do they put them on <laughs> leashes and walk them? <laughs> What is he talking well, like, about? You know, humans could have domesticated dinosaurs. And I'm thinking of the big dinosaurs specifically because these are the most problematic <laughs> ones. T-Rex. Like, the small dinosaurs, you can just like carry them. I don't know. The, I'm thinking about T-Rex, the one with the long neck. I should probably know the names of the dinosaurs for this episode. The Triceratops. That's pretty big. They're not like camels or horses or dogs or cats. Like, it's a little yeah. different. So number five is faded. And oh, my God. They just went extinct over time. It wasn't like the evolutionists would say. They didn't evolve into birds, and they didn't have, like, a big event where a asteroid hit the Earth. No, they just went extinct in the post-flood world. It's in. Like, okay, so what is his evidence? Is it just him being like, this is what I think, and that's my We'll evidence? get into his evidence. I just wanted to go through the oh. seven phases, so... I can't wait for the evidence. At number six is fit. It highlights the fit between scientific observations with the young earth creationist viewpoint. Huh? 
the coexistence of human and dinosaurs. We'll get into his argument that humans and dinosaurs coexist and his evidence for such thing. And then the seventh point is future. And he believes that God's word guides understanding of Earth's history and the future aspect acknowledges that faith plays a pivotal role in shaping perspectives on origins and the destiny of creation. I like I don't really have words because this is me and Ken Ham don't live on the same earth. We just don't. When we finish this episode, I will make my husband listen to this and he's going to be like, what the fuck are people doing? And we know that not all Christians think like this, but Ken Ham needs to be stopped. I know. <laughs> like, what is happening? Why are we letting this man speak? So, okay, I got a few different. These are his main reasons for why he thinks that a young earth makes sense. And if you believe in a young earth and that humans were created on the same day as land animals, you next have to make that make sense and you have to believe that they coexisted. I think the biggest problem Ken Ham sees is that if you look at the world before the fall of man, before human beings were created and made the choice to eat the apple that God conveniently put right in the garden and said, don't eat it because then you'll know things. Um, <laughs> if you... <laughs> If you were if you were to say that dinosaurs were around before people, well, we have in the fossil record, we have, he says, cases of arthritis and cancer and animals dying millions of years before humans. That just doesn't work. It doesn't work because only death happens in a fallen world and only eating meat happens in a fallen world. So that that's his starting point. And then he starts to critique. So he gets into his critique of radiometric dating, human and dinosaur remains. So he says radiometric dating methods rely on the decay of radioactive isotopes in rocks to estimate their age. Different isotopes are used for dating different materials. And so he said that because they're using different kinds of dating methods and compositions that this could be a, an inconsistency. I thought you were going to be like... And then, I started laughing halfway through because I'm just imagining Ken Ham being like, I don't even know what an isotope is, so I don't believe it. <laughs> Ken Ham just wants black and white answers always and forever. And what he is failing to realize is that reality and science and reality, how do I, do I have to say that again, um, <laughs> isn't, isn't black and white and it's complicated and it's messy and gray and he cannot... Accept. And the best thing about science is our view of things is changing over time. Like even they're now saying that general relativity, like there might be like serious holes in this theory and it might not actually explain everything the way that we once thought it did. Like science evolves over time and our understanding of things evolve over time. And But it's it's the best possible explanation we have currently. But with Ken Ham and people like Ken Ham, they're like, oh, you found an inconsistency? That means everything is false and you're like fucking take it down a thousand pegs and i know we're going to talk about the psychology at the end and i'm very excited because that's like exactly what i need to discuss yeah. right now so let's get back to ken ham and his silliness and not just ken ham now we're kind of into general young earth creationist views so they would typically say that the literal noah's ark literally every kind of animal a male and female pair were put onto the ark and survived a global flood. But the flood is said to have caused massive geological changes and buried organisms as fossils. However, the geological layers of the earth, how fossil sequences are, show distinct patterns and suggest gradual deposition over millions of years, not just one single 
catastrophic event like a global flood, and fossil sequences reveal a chronological order of species that doesn't align with a sudden flood. Like, there's a lot of layers on the earth. There's a lot of layers to the story. So we got, well, there's a lot of layers. And you can, you can literally see the story of evolution. And then they'll be like, what about the missing link? And then they find like transition or species. And then they're like, oh, well, what about, what about the missing link? It's like, oh, it's the Futurama episode all over again. <laughs> okay. So now we get to when you were saying how it's annoying that like one discovery happens that seems to like contradict something, then they're like, Yes we're right because of this one discovery. So there's a scientist that actually Deb Harsma listed her. She's a geologist and her name is Mary Schweitzer. And she had a groundbreaking discovery in 2005. She found soft tissue in dinosaur fossils, which this is like a big challenge to conventional views because it contradicted the, the, the expectation that soft tissue material should have decayed over millions of years. And so a lot of people were like, well, what the heck is happening here? And now they're looking into like, maybe we were wrong about the fossilization process and decay rates, or maybe there were other things that happened that caused the fossils to form quicker. So the biological material could have been kept over time. But my favorite part about Mary, I found an interview of Mary on that's on BioLogos. We'll include it in the show notes. I'm going to get you to read her quote. Okay, so this is the quote. One thing that does bother me, though, is that young Earth creationists take my research and use it for their own message, and I think they are misleading people about it. Yeah. Pastors and evangelists who are in a position of leadership are doubly responsible for checking facts and getting things right, but they have misquoted me and misrepresented the data. They're looking at this research in terms of a false dichotomy, science versus faith, and that doesn't do anyone any favors. Still, it's not surprising that they've reacted this way. The bone that I first studied, I got from Jack, which is her supervisor. And when I gave him our initial results, he was rather angry. I called him a few times. And by my third call, he said, damn it, Mary, the creationists are just going to love you. And I said, this is just what the data says. I'm not making this up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see why he was so angry. She's not, she's not a young Earth creationist. She believes in evolution. She believes that the Earth is... She believes all of the things in modern science. She is just a scientist that also happens to be a Christian and doesn't view it as a conflict. But obviously, when she made this discovery, which does challenge some of the initial consensus in science on the decay of biological material over millions of years... It, yeah, it's a challenge, but it doesn't mean that all, all of a sudden everything in evolution is so wrong. Everything's it's all thrown wrong. out. Everything's wrong now. She's just like, it bothers me that they are using my research. Like, Yeah, because I think what Mary is saying and really what we are saying is that we know that we don't know. And we're okay with the fact that we don't know. Yeah. And I think that's like, it's so simple, but it's like, that's a very simplified version of what reality is. We only have a certain amount of information from the science that we've created. Back in the 60s, they didn't even have DNA right, testing. Exactly. Think about all those murders that happened that could have been solved if they just had DNA. They didn't even know that they could do that. And then we discovered DNA testing. And it wasn't that long ago that we didn't even have electricity. Like, it's, we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. Imagine showing electricity to somebody in, like, 
I don't know, the Roman Empire. Yeah. So for her, I feel for her because she goes on to say that some other scientists that aren't Christian have questioned her motives because she's a Christian. She's like, my Christianity does not inform my science. Like I'm doing my research and I'm just reporting on what I'm observing. Like it has nothing to do with my faith. And I'd be interested to read her book at one time. But yeah, you can go a lot of different ways with this. But I just thought it was funny that like literally Ken Ham cited her research and then she's like, Ugh, I hate when they do this because they're misrepresenting what actually happened and they're creating a false dichotomy, which we hate here at You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. We hate false dichotomies. Sure All do. Right, next up. So some other things that... Ken Ham will claim as proof that humans and dinosaurs coexisted. I already mentioned that in Genesis, um, humans and land-dwelling animals were created the same day, so therefore they had to coexist. The Bible is true because it's true. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and the book of Job contains passages describing two creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan. So the book of Job, really? And so... This is our proof. He says that the behemoth would refer to like a land-dwelling dinosaur, like a sauropod. And the leviathan, he says, describes a sea monster or a marine reptile. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to paste these verses for you to read. And this is like when I was a kid, like literally, I remember people being like, yeah, no, there are dinosaurs in the Bible. Like this was used as an argument. I want you to read them and let me know your thoughts. First up, we have the behemoth. So this is Job 40, verse 15 to 24, the new international version. Oh, we're doing a different version today. Okay. Look at behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. (laughs) What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. Yet its maker can approach it with a sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadows. The poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Okay, that was like literal gibberish. (laughs) Like, that doesn't make... That... What? Am I... Oh, am I awake right now? Like, this whole episode has been just a lot of... They would say, okay, it eats... Can you explain it to me in English? (laughs) It feeds on grass like an ox, so it is a herbivore. It has a big tail, like a cedar, huge thighs. So they're essentially like, this is... A dinosaur. What if it's just like an elephant? <laughs> well, that that's what most other Christians that don't believe that dinosaurs coexisted with humans would say it's probably an elephant or a hippo. But then in his talk to children, Ken Ham said, I went to the zoo and I took a pic- picture of all the asses of hippos and elephants. And, what? Yeah. And he's like, they have their itty bitty tails. And he's just like showing pictures of these animals butts. And he's like, does that look like a tail that swayed is like a cedar? Like, does that look like a cedar tree? No, a dinosaur tail looks like a cedar tree. So therefore. Oh my God. (laughs) And then. This was in the talk. You must've just been flabbergasted. Yeah, man, I was. And then, okay, the Leviathan. So it's Job 41, one to 34. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? 
Will it keep you begging for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as a slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false and the mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. So again, that is God describing the Leviathan. And most people think the Leviathan is like a whale. It's like a whale. Yeah, it sounds like a, a shark, shark or a whale. whale. Yeah. A big marine creature. So yeah. But he's like, no, that's a, that is an aquatic dinosaur. That is what Ken Ham will say. Oh. And so. Ken, like most of us don't even think this, this is real. Right. Like, the whole book is fake. So I don't. And then like, he'll say that there's lots of depictions of dinosaurs or large reptiles in cave paintings. There's one specific example of this is the Ica stones that are a collection of engraved stones found in Peru that depict scenes of humans interacting with dinosaur-like creatures and young earth creationists have used this to support the evidence of their claims. However, the authenticity and interpretation of the stones are widely disputed. So not the there's not a there's not a leg to stand on. But like humans take mushrooms and see all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, and didn't you say that there were he said that there was legends of dragons in all cultures. Yeah. So maybe it was just like, oh, cuz they like people imagine beasts. Yeah. They ha- they have images of their gods well you think about like ancient egypt they had like dog heads and are we saying that humans with dog heads existed no yes (laughs) obviously (laughs) come on yeah so so stupid those are basically his arguments and he showcases this in his um creation museum and his ark replica which you could visit if you wanted to pull out all your hair where is this this is the one that Bill Nye was in, right? And we showed the video. And, and then the Ken Ham's like, you have to admit that it's a very nice exhibit. And Bill Nye's like, I guess. It's in Williamstown <laughs> to Kentucky. Okay. Of course it is. And then well, we're gonna have creation to go. museum is in also in Kentucky. So if you happen to be in Kentucky uh-huh. and you have nothing better to do with your time, then you know what actually is really good? The Natural History Museum in New York City really enjoyed that i think it's a little different though i've also been to that one and let me tell you there was no uh noah's ark in no that one. so oh my god those are the views and if you're interested to get into more of ken ham's views and these explanations you can go to answersingenesis.com. the site is exactly what it says any answer you can find in genesis so yeah yeah I've I had never heard of Answers in Genesis until we started the podcast and I have heard it in a lot of other I don't know like ex-evangelical people that we follow talk about it sometimes I'll see it and I'll be like yeah there we go there's Ken Ham going off about something if you want to have access to sound scientific information you know there's like the Scientific American there's looking at Google Scholar for studies directly. If you want it from a faith perspective, BioLogos is a great resource for you. We love BioLogos. Even if we're not Christians, I always look it up to get their counter view because they're just like humans and dinosaurs did not coexist. And this is the science why. And Ken Ham. Ken Ham, so silly. So silly. (laughs) But this silliness causes a lot of issues because if we use Genesis, he says that the answer for anything in life, any question can be found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Stop. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, stop it. Birth Ken. control. God stop says it. Be fruitful and multiply. Nope. No birth control. Like he says any answer ever. Basically, yeah. Any, any answer. answer. And you have to start you have to start with Genesis as your foundation and then you interpret science based on that or you cherry pick random shit. And this was the part when I was listening to, I listened, this wasn't the only talk. I listened to probably like four hours worth of Kent Ham talking about this <laughs> and then talking about other things. And what got me so interested was like, he's a very articulate speaker. I can see how people that have that worldview would find him convincing. And to be honest, like having been in that worldview where you're like, this is God's word. So of course, everything has to stem from that. And the way he presents things, it would make sense if that's the only sort of education that you've had. Like he was talking about how public school is really, can be really harmful. And and there's still oh a very God. significant right. percentage of um, Americans that believe that humans and dinosaurs live together. 41% of Americans believe. No, no. Uh, 41%. There's no way where did you get that stat okay this is from 2015 really there's just no way and so (sighs) technically if you go in a technical sense human and dinosaurs if we classify birds as dinosaurs coexisted maybe most people think that so yeah birds came from dinosaurs but ken ham would say he also talked about that he's like and they say that birds came from dinosaurs so technically an atheist believes that you're eating kentucky fried dinosaur i just sarah how did you get through this like i think that we choose different topics every two weeks and i physically could not have handled this topic i would have gone completely insane I just don't think I can Okay, do it. so let's get into personality and belief in creationism. Okay. Okay. There was a study conducted by Andrew Village, who is the head of theology and religious studies at York St. John University. And so in this study, I think it was done in 2022, they explored the link between personality traits and belief in creationism. And they surveyed 663 English churchgoers and focused on their beliefs around Genesis. And then they also took the Myers-Briggs personality test, uh, which is used to categorize individuals into extroversion versus introversion, sensing versus intuition, thinking versus feeling, and judging versus perception. What do you think about the Myers-Briggs personality test? I think it's like any personality test. It just groups people together based on certain traits they have. I think some people get so into it and they're like i'm a total like intj and you're just like okay cool like, I think- <laughs> well there's a whole enneagram thing right i'm such a two when i read them i'm like yeah there's parts of this that makes sense and then parts of it that doesn't and it's a spectrum too right like which one are you closer to introversion or extroversion or i was just curious okay so so this is on. kind of yeah a way that Sorry. you would classify groups of people based on personality characteristics and seeing if there's any significant patterns between people who have beliefs in a literal genesis versus a more figurative genesis just to define the difference between sensing individuals and intuitive individuals so sensing individuals prefer concrete information that comes from their senses what they can see what they can touch whereas intuitive people rely on abstract feelings and hunches and so Study participants with a sensing preference were more likely to interpret Genesis literally due to their belief that the Bible was true. So they were more likely to be like, okay, well, 
I can see this, it's right in front of me. Whereas the intuitive individuals were more likely to be open to speculate and explore possibilities about things being more figurative or metaphorical rather than just accepting it at face value. And thinkers were more likely to hold creationist beliefs influenced by their conservative religious leanings. So personality traits we know don't correlate with intelligence or correctness of biblical interpretation. But it, it is pretty interesting that people that were more likely to be like intuitive and open to like symbolic thinking were less likely to interpret it literally. That is interesting. So when I look at when you explained all those ones, I'm like, well, obviously we must be more intuitive. But I was, we're always like constantly discovering who we are and discovering ourselves. And I, I'm starting to like realize how much I rely on my intuition and gut for like basically anything. <laughs> Like everything that I do is almost always that way. And then I go to the facts second sometimes. And I think that maybe that's why I started questioning religion quicker than maybe some other people did. Because I was like, this doesn't feel right. Because the intuitives rely on abstract feelings or hunches. And I'm actually like my type is INTJ, which is introvert, intuitive, thinking and judging. Oh, interesting. But that kind of like... That kind of makes more sense to me because there are some people that are like, well, the Bible's God's word. I can see it in front of me. So this is what's right. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It's that makes sense to them. They're less likely to go on like gut feelings. Whereas like when I simple things like hearing that women were supposed to submit to men, that just did not sit right to me. Even if it was like God's created order, I was just like, this feels gross. And a lot of it started as a feeling, but then that kind of prompted me to consider other options. So there's a lot of obviously views within Christianity. And what I did, because I was very attached to the Christian worldview and my relationship with Jesus, I just found an interpretation of the Bible that worked for me at that point like Christians for biblical equality. When I first started researching like evolution, I theistic evolution, I was like, there are Christians that believe this. Some people stay there and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, like obviously having a theistic worldview just ultimately wasn't the place where I landed. And some people land there. And I think that it would be more interesting to have more of a look into studies around like why we believe certain things because yeah it has nothing to do with intelligence and sometimes I had people get really offended being like well so and so has a PhD in chemistry so and so is really smart and I can see why people get mad at like edgy atheists because edgy atheists are like oh Christians are so fucking dumb blah 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 and you're never gonna have good dialogue or convince someone of something if you're just telling them that they're dumb or you're making them feel stupid it's, I think that it was helpful for me to try and understand, okay, like, why does Ken Ham have this view? Yeah, I think the way that you're describing it is we are deconstructed. We deconstructed years ago. Yeah. And the emotions of our deconstruction have lessened over that time. I'm personally getting angry, but you're able to be like, no, no, I'm more interested in why he's going to do that. Whereas I think why I get mad is because they're not going to give us the same treatment. They're probably not. I feel like Ken Ham would not be like, I wonder why they think the way they think. Oh, psychology. He would probably attribute it to desires of the flesh, being deceived by Satan. And then I think that comes back to like one of the points that we touched on in the podcast with Rachel Bernstein. If you, it's really hard to trust your gut when you are raised being told that your gut 
is sinful and wrong. You are sinful and wrong. Less of you, more of Christ. The flesh, you know, the desires of the flesh are not good. So anything that you do for yourself or any kind of internal sense you have, you're like, oh, well, this is wrong. I just had an aha moment when you said that. So one of my issues that I've talked about in therapy a lot is that I always buried my feelings. And when I felt a negative feeling or I don't know, like like any negative feeling or if I was complaining or whatever, I would just like bury it. And I always attributed it to my parents just being like, no, like you have to be positive and like, like toxic you know, positivity, you have a positive aura, toxic positivity a little bit. Like I've talked to my mom about it before. And so this won't be a surprise to her, but like, you know, Oprah was, it's always Oprah and Oprah was like, you know, negative auras and positive auras and we want to have a positive aura. And then my mom's like, you have to have a positive aura. So I was like, oh, I guess I can't talk about my problems anymore. But I just realized as you were saying that I'm like, yeah, like maybe my mom started that within me but religion was what made it worse paul and christianity made it worse paul Paul. it's all paul's fault it's always paul's fault because you know what jesus talked about doing things for others loving other people i know paul talked about hating yourself essentially (laughs) yeah that's true yeah no i mean fuck we'll go on about paul but that's that's interesting though it's something that i still struggle with to this day and i'm like why is this so deep-rooted and i'm realizing as you were talking, it was religion that was like, well, if you have, first of all, a sexual desire, bury it because that's yeah. unholy. And that's why the, the problems that I have with sex and sexual desires are just way worse than I ever thought that they were. I guess what I was trying to say is gut feelings and how your gut feelings get your intuition gets hijacked. And we've talked about hijacking a bit on the podcast before but by hijacking somebody's gut feeling do you think that it would take some of those people that are maybe more naturally intuitive and turn them into people that are not naturally intuitive you know what I mean because like somebody who's been hijacked might take a Myers-Briggs personality test and not score as intuitive even though they are but they're burying all that intuition that that is really that is very interesting Anyway, so um, dinosaurs. So what I have left is some TikToks. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, tell me when you're ready. Okay, you showed a video. Okay, I'm ready. So we know that dinosaurs existed, but how do they like fit into the Bible? The statement, we know that dinosaurs existed, gives us a clue on what we're to do in this situation. Because the Bible doesn't give us information about dinosaurs. There are sometimes Christians who point to some obscure passages, but I don't think it talks specifically about dinosaurs. So how do we get knowledge of the dinosaurs? We get knowledge of dinosaurs, not God's word, but from God's world. And so what we do is we realize, hey, we've got two sources of knowledge, God's word and God's world. Both speak truth truly about God and about uh, the you know the reality around us you don't have the Bible describing and explaining every single aspect of reality. The Bible doesn't say anything about DNA. So what do we do with DNA? And so what we do is we take God's word and God's world and we see how do they fit together? How do these two different sources of knowledge come together? And when we do that, we have a lot of room to do our scientific exploration and conclude, number one, dinosaurs exist. And then number two, we take our creation account and realize, hey, God created everything that exists. And so we know God 
God created dinosaurs. This is where Christians may differ on how our view, how we view the age of the earth and, and all of that kind of stuff, and that's where it's okay for Christians to disagree. So if you think that the earth is young, you're a young earth creationist, you would have to say something like, hey, when God created human beings and all of animal kind, he also created dinosaurs in there, and humans and dinosaurs probably walk the earth together. If you are an old earth creationist and say, no, the earth is old, you have some room to say, hey, there were maybe times in God's creation where he created things, and then they went out of existence. Those are two different ways that Christians try to say, hey, here's this knowledge we have in the world, and here's the knowledge of God's word, and this is how they are compatible. I mean, that's not that interesting, but it kind of explains like... it's. No, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, okay, it's not unhinged. They can't, and they can't all be unhinged. <laughs> no, they definitely can't. But I did like that. He definitely was much kinder to the younger creationists than I would be because I find them dangerous. But he's like, oh, no, it's okay to differ. And he's right. It is okay to differ. And what I'm also wanting to say after watching that is like, Ken Ham is free to have any view that he wants to have but where I have an issue with Ken Ham is that he won't shut the fuck up about it and so I feel the need to just not shut the fuck up about how annoying I think he is and I don't want to do that I want to go to him and be like let's agree to disagree but I know that he would be like no I'm not going to agree to disagree because I disagree and you're wrong and I just don't think he would give me the same good faith conversation that I would want to have. Like, if we ever had him on the podcast, I think I would rip my fucking hair out because he wouldn't be able to just be like, oh, interesting. Your views are interesting. But for him, he's very black and white. And for Ken Ham, he needs to have a young earth because he needs to have a world that is void of sin and death and destruction before the fall of man in order for there to be salvation, in order for there to be a need for Jesus. I get it. I can logically see where he's coming yeah. from, but I just don't think it lines up with the rest of reality. That's all. Little caveat there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have one more. Oh, I love this guy. The devil put all of the dinosaur bones in the ground just to trick us. Yes, evolution is a lie. God is great. God is good. He helps us win the wars. He specifically likes. Imagine if God wasn't on our side for the wars. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> but he is. All of them deserved it. I love him. We follow him on Instagram. So, Jessica, what, what? did we learn? Oh, my God. It's over? <laughs> this nightmare of mine? But that was enough content for an episode. It, it unfortunately was. I don't think it was that bad. No, I... It was your content was wonderful. I just didn't like how it made me feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with how well you research because it was very well done. What did we learn? What did you learn? I learned that there were seven F's and one of them wasn't fuck you, Ken Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll make an eighth. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, he is... Uh, as usual delusional and trying you talking about indoctrinating kids my gosh there we there there's there's someone who's trying to indoctrinate your children oh he yeah yeah he hates the homosexuals and the oh don't, i'm sure i don't even want to know what he thinks about drag queens <laughs> which by the way i went to drag brunch for the first time in los angeles and how was it it was fucking amazing 
Everybody was amazing and so Aww. fun and hilarious. And all of the drag queens were so nice and funny. And it's a performance. Like, I think what people don't understand, well, first of all, they've never been to drag brunch. If they had been to drag brunch and had a, a nice, like, bottomless mimosa, I don't think that they would be protesting drag queens because it's fucking great. But it is, <laughs> like, the show that I went to, I'm like, there's no children here. They're not letting you in unless you're of legal drinking age. It's in a bar. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. But drag brunch was great. And let's get back to dinosaurs. So I learned that apparently there were dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden, which is hysterical, but also dinosaurs on the Ark. And the way that they got on the Ark was they just bought the little, little baby dinosaurs, which is fine, I guess, if you want to believe that. I don't know, Sarah, what did you learn? Well, I learned that if you start with the Bible having to be literally true, you're going to interpret everything and disregard a lot of scientific discovery to make your worldview work yeah i think and you know what the bible is a really big collection of books and there's a lot of really great messages in there that i wish people would just talk more about like you know loving other people and a lot of really great stories (laughs) with like lot and his daughters yeah we're gonna do story time with sarah oh are we doing a story time with sarah (gasps) welcome to story time with sarah Sit back, relax, and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. So welcome to Storytime with Sarah. I'm so excited to share this story with you. It's Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, the first book, first chapter. And the cool part about Genesis is you already heard today in our episode that the earth was formed before the sun and the moon, the stars, which makes perfect sense <laughs> to Ken Ham. Okay, so I'm going to read through this. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering above the waters. So we got like a flat water and God's hovering. And then God says, let there be light. And there was light. But there's no sun. There's no, no there's sun. There's no sun yet. There's no sun, but there's but light. But there is light. Okay. God saw the light and God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. There's day and night, but there's no and there's sun. there's evening with no sun, no moon, no stars. Okay. And there was morning the first day. Okay. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above And so God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay. So now we're on day two and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so God called the dry ground land and gathered water. He called seas and God saw that it was good. All right. And then the fun part, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit. Wait, wait, wait. Where's the sun? <laughs> we don't have sun yet. We have ve- we have vegetation. No sun. No, we don't have sun yet. No, he's not till day four. <laughs> no, day three. Yeah, we're on day four. <laughs> we're, okay, we're on day we're on day three right now. Day three, yeah, and yeah. God says, "Let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, and trees on the land bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds." And it was so. The land produced vegetation. Plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. There was morning the third day. 
So now there was evening and there was morning. Four, <laughs> day four. We don't know how the evening and how the we don't know what where the light was coming from at this point. Maybe it was the spirit of God. I don't know. God's essence. <laughs> God's essence. Okay. So God said, "Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate day from the night." How was he separating them before? How did he already separate? I, I just I thought there was already morning and evening. Yeah, there was know. already morning and evening. He already separated dark from light, but now there are lights to govern the sky and the night. Sarah, what are the answers in Genesis? <laughs> I don't even know. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So this is where we get the whole purpose of the entire fucking universe outside of Earth is so that we can tell the time and date. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, okay. God made two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser one to govern the night. Those are the moons. Then he also made the stars. That's just an afterthought. He also made trillions of fucking trillions of stars. Yeah, no, that's just just so we have pretty lights to look at at night. <laughs> yeah. And God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and night and to separate light from darkness. But he already separated light from darkness. I don't, and that was, yeah. the fourth, and there, that was, a, there was evening and morning. And that was the fourth day. Okay. Where's the afternoon? Where's the afternoon? What's happening on the <laughs> afternoon? Is God taking a lunch break? Yeah, it's this break time. It's when he has a siesta. And God said, okay, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which water teams and moves about in according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Okay, now we get to the juicy part. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. So this also includes dinosaurs, livestock, <laughs> creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's why humans are important and we can use the earth however we want. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, and it was the sixth day. And then God completed everything. So on, on day seven, he took a break and then... We get to chapter two and the Bible's like, and here's another account of how things were created. Really? Yeah. So it's like, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the Lord God made them. So in this one, he makes things in like a different order. What? Yeah. So in this one, he says, now no shrub had appeared on the earth and no plant had sprung up and the Lord God had not sent rain and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being. And now God planted a garden east in Eden and put the man there where he had formed. So in this one, it's totally different because he's making things after he's formed man. And he so he makes the garden. He puts man in it. And he says, like, you're free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And then he said he shouldn't be alone. He made him a helper. 
But before he decided to make Eve, he was like, let's just test out all the animals and see if you can find someone you like. And so he brought every single animal to Adam <laughs> and Adam named them. And then Adam was like, but there's no one I want to have sex with. So then God was like, oh, I'm going to do the first surgery ever. So he put him into a deep sleep <laughs> under some general anesthetic. He took out his rib, sewed him up and boom, with the rib, he made a woman. And then Eve fucked up oh my god that was so long so the funny part though after eve sins she's like ken ham got into this and after eve sins she's like hey adam eat this then they realize they're naked and they're like hiding and putting leaves over themselves and they're hiding and like god's like walking around the garden and then god's like where are you i'm all seeing and all knowing but i can't find you and he's like (laughs) you're hiding how do you know you're naked you sin. So then he gives them the curse and then he kills an animal and he makes clothing with the animal's skin for Adam and Eve. So God is the first fashion designer. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is all I have left in me. I'm sorry if that story was really long winded, but. No, it's good. That was fun and uh, made a lot of sense. And I, it's almost like I'd like to hear Ken Ham explain it, but like, I just couldn't because it would just feel like I'm living in a crazy person's head all right i i'm tired and i don't want to live on this planet anymore and there's just so many annoying people that i wish would just stop talking and we're probably some of them so maybe we should stop talking and end this episode yeah i think we've maxed out but there you have it a full episode on dinosaurs thank you so much for listening guys and we will see you in a couple weeks we love you all If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt. And if not, then we will be back in two weeks with a brand new fun episode for you. Peace.